We are coming to you with the unspoken words. This is a Red Road Perspective. With humility, experience, reflection, and that unique style of indigenous humor, we discuss the issues that affect our mind, body, spirit, and emotional well-being as natives in recovery. Sobriety, community, accountability, transparency, and service work. Uh, hope. Hey, yeah. Yeah. All right, hey, unspoken words, episode forty-two in the house. Forty-two, forty-two. Who's who's NBA player was forty-two? Vin Baker. Oh, that's forty-two. Okay, forty-two, forty-two. How about? I'm trying to remember Vin Baker. How about Jackie Robinson? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that movie. I love that movie. It is a pretty good movie. It is a pretty good movie. Very nostalgic. I remember when I was growing up during that time. <laughs> I remember when Jack Robinson first came out. <laughs> hold up, hold up. We got some intros to do over here to my right. He's the freak from Arrow Creek, Cobra Kai Sensei, JC, our shooter, JC McGavin, JCB in the house. Say what's up. What's up? And I am your favorite Indian. Oh, yeah. He all, man, my bad. That's the main one. Favorite Indian. My bad. Favorite Indian. All right. Over uh, here to my left, the Algerian nightmare. He ain't even trying to preach the pod gaudy Randy B in the place to be. Show it up. Yo, 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 <laughs> <laughs> yo. And, nah, and nah. across the way from me. <laughs> <laughs> All the way from LG by way of Harden, living on the west side of Billings. The Perry Air Queen. <laughs> Spark- <laughs> sparkling water Janice is in the house <laughs> You know it oh, Hey Hey, hey. hey. Awesome. hey. What's up? hey. hey you know me You know me It's empty barrel Mo hugs not drugs Street chief pacifier <laughs> <laughs> what else were those taglines that we had? Which was Mofaya. 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 He said the Street Chief, Chief Messiah. Street Chief Messiah. <laughs> Street Chief Messiah. <laughs> <clears throat> All the way from Praia. <laughs> I am also from Arrow Creek. Mr. Mo Hugs, not drugs. Oh, and number 42, the correction on that was Kevin Love, Tony Allen, uh, Al Horford, Alton Brand, Nate Thurman, Tom Alton Chambers. Brand. Oh, yeah. Uh, I don't know how to say these other two. Hashim Thabit and Earl Barron. Jamal Crawford. He was always wearing 42. Huh? Mm-hmm. All the time? Not Jamal Crawford. Oh, I thought you said Jamal Crawford. No, Hashim Thabit or something. Oh no! Tom early Chambers, on. That sounds nothing like Jamal Crawford. Nate Thurman. I thought he Al said Al Horford. I said oh, Al, Al Horford. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, 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 That don't sound like. I Jamal heard Crawford. Horford. Either. I thought it was Crawford. Okay. My bad. My bad. My bad. Anyway, welcome to episode forty-two. We got Janice in the house, and we're gonna chop it up here tonight. But before we get into our questions, as always, we're gonna have a little warm up, and tonight we're gonna go back to our old, um, reliable. Two truths and a lie. Yay. 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 Oh, yeah. man. Why are you 
two yeah. truths and a lie. Hey, yeah. 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 All right. Woo. <laughs> Back by popular demand on a free 30-day trial period for you today. (laughs) All right, Mo Hugs, I'll go first. All right, here we go. Two truths and a lie. Those of you that don't know what two truths and lies, I tell two truths and a lie, and these guys have to decide which is which. So, first one, I met Barrio. Obama? Yeah, I met Barrio. I watched LaQueen play a game of basketball. And my last one is I ate a hot pocket today. You met Barrio? That's a lie. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'd say the LeBron one. Okay. What about you, Dennis? Barrio. Okay. Okay. Well, cause, I mean, because he was in Crow for a while. I mean, you never know. Yeah. That's believable. When was he in Crow? Did you meet him? Yeah, that was back in. Um, Who is he? <laughs> Barack Obama. Oh, okay. We call him Barry O around oh, here. Barry o. <laughs> also here. known Barry as o. Barry O on the podcast. Cousin Barry. <laughs> That's my oh. uncle. He's <laughs> like. <laughs> and the, the LG folks seen right through me. I never met him. I was there, I was about 10 feet away from him. Then all these other crows cut in front of me. So Did just, you smell them? I just watched them go in front of me. <laughs> but you were within his aura? Yeah. I felt his essence. <laughs> I didn't get to smell him. <laughs> I smelled a bunch of crows that cut in front of me. <laughs> what did he smell like? He smelled like rude crows. He smelled like he smelled presidential. <laughs> That's when I knew he had my vote. <laughs> He's <smelled> presidential. <laughs> All right, JC, you're up. All right. Uh, so you you never met Barack Obama? You, I never met but Barack. But you saw Obama. where did you see LeBron play? Uh, I was in a training when I worked at BIA, BIE, BIA uh, in Dallas, and then the Cavs were coming to town like that first night we were there, and I went downtown and I watched the Cavs, first, Cavs first, and Mavs play. First, first time he was at the Cavs. First yeah. Cleveland, okay, yeah. before he. Never Before mind. he became a trainer. Dang, I didn't I, know I you wanted start, to go all that way and watch him. Yeah, I was at a training. They were in town, so I went down. Can of worms. I didn't know you went all that way to watch him <laughs> from your hometown downtown. <laughs> undercover. <laughs> undercover. That's when he first became a fan, huh? Yeah. No, I used to like LeBron when he was at the Cavs the first time. But anyway, crazy story about that. Like, I was, you know, standing outside and I was about to go in. And I was smoking a cigarette, and and then I was going to go in, but then there's like a bunch of like street folks standing by the door. They're just all standing there with their hands out and stuff. And so I was like, "Oh shoot, I got a couple bucks." And I went over and I gave that, gave them, gave one of them money. He's like, "Oh God bless, thank you." And right away, man, one of those security guards came over and he's like, "Don't give them money. You're not supposed to give them money." And like chewed me out. And he's like, "Get inside." And I was like, "Oh shit!" And I just like went inside. Dang, really? Yeah. Like, chewed me out for giving them money. Sorry, I cussed, too. Pardon my French. Mm. Anyway, go ahead. Oh, me, 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 me? Okay. Yeah. Um, let's see. I had to write mine down because I don't even know which one's the lie. 
I lie so much. <laughs> okay, as he can't lie. <laughs> really? uh, so the first one is I waved at Shamu and he spit on me. Mm. And the second one is I found a four leaf clover one time. And the third one is I saw a giant teddy bear panhandling. Mm. I think the Shamu. I say Shamu. Bazin say Shamu too. Shamu's a lie. About you. What say you, Miss Janice? Four leaf clover. Four leaf clover. She got it. What? She got it. Huh. Four leaf clover was the lie? Yeah, I've never found a four leaf clover. Oh. But I did meet Shamu one time and yeah, you go right up to the tank and then, oh, you want to wave at him? You got to go like this. And then the lady that, the trainer, she had her back to him uh. and she went like this so he couldn't see her. So when I did it, he saw me and then he kind of. Stuck his head over that little glass wall and spit all this water on me. <laughs> and so I did, she tricked you? Yeah, she tricked me. Uh, and then I did see... Remember I was telling you about Scooby-Doo, right? Skateboarding? Yeah, there's a guy in a teddy bear down here. Yeah, but I, I, I seen the teddy bear. He was over in the same spot. Uh, pan, I don't know if he was panhandling, but he had one of those homemade cardboard Sharpie signs. Yeah. And he was just chilling. And I mean, there was a lot of information to take in, and I was driving by, so I was like, I don't know what his sign said, but... Now, what kind of chemicals are you breathing in at work, man? <laughs> so I, I was telling him I saw Scooby-Doo skateboarding, and then within like what, what like a block in the same area, I another day I saw a giant teddy bear with a... Oh, it's probably the same guy. <coughs> yeah. It's probably the same guy. He's got a room full of these outfits and goes out there. Oh, so t- that teddy bear dressed up like Scooby-Doo? Or did Scooby-Doo dress up like a teddy bear? Ooh. We'll never know. Therein lies the dilemma. What comes first, the egg or the chicken? Hmm. Oh. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, I never did find a 40 flower. <laughs> All right, Randy B., we'll go over to you. Evening thoughts. <laughs> By unspoken words. <laughs> Things that make you go, hmm. hmm. <laughs> okay. Uh, number one, I went to college. Number two, my mom is the youngest of her siblings. And number three, I am left-handed like my dad. Hmm. Go shoot some hoops real quick. I never, <laughs> I, I've never seen you. I mean, like, I would sit across you all the time, but I've never seen you. I me mean, think. I don't, I don't know, know, man. That's... Man. You never went to college. Yeah, I say college. That's the lie. Ah. <laughs> you, you didn't even say anything. You just you was like this. It's going like this. We, the, our listeners can't see you nodding. <laughs> <laughs> oh jeez. Okay, going to college. I guess I'll be with. Just like the others. Oh, oh you guys are right. He just, he, just, he just gave us the buzzer, though. He, he, <laughs> he, 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 he narrowed it down to two, and you still got it. <laughs> <laughs> Which one was it, Ben? Which one is it? I am not left out. I knew it. Uh, I knew it. That was my first instinct. I went to college before. I dropped out. <laughs> and my mom is the youngest of her siblings. Okay. I, I couldn't remember the one. I think you said something about your mom. And I, I knew that. I think you said that before. In a previous conversation or episode, but I, I my my gut instinct was the left handed. <laughs> I was trying to think, and I'm like, man, have I ever seen him use his left hand? I don't know. <laughs> That's the one I was leaning towards too. That's why I said, let's go shoot some hoops real quick. 
<laughs> Should have threw something at him real quick and see how he caught it. Or catch it with his mouth. <laughs> <laughs> no, his tongue. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good one. Good one. Good stuff. All right. Janice, are you ready? I am a winner. Yeah. Uh, about as ready as I'll ever be. Mm-hmm. Mm. All right, fire away. <laughs> so you want me to start with just... Randomly. Yeah, just, randomly. We got to pick. We got to pick. Randomly. Didn't, um, you, didn't you write it down? Oh, I've uh, been to treatment five times. I am a teacher, and I have 19 grandkids. Oh, man. Ooh-wee. Five times? I don't know about five I times. Think it's, I think it's the first or last one. I, I would say you went to treatment, but I don't know about five times. Yeah, I think the treatment one's a lie. Uh, 19 grandkids. Well, well, I have not been to treatment five times. Oh, <laughs> high five. Yeah, high we five. Got it. We got one. Dang, I lost. <laughs> <laughs> I do have 19 grandkids. Okay. <laughs> and I've been a teacher. <clears throat> okay. Okay. Yeah. I've been a two. Two treatments in my lifetime. I'm trying right. to think. I learned a lot from both, though. Jared's County. He's like, does outpatient count? <laughs> no, inpatients. I went to Great Falls, Cody, Wyoming, and then Riverton like three or four times. Oh, wow. River- oh, Riverton. Set free. I was only there two times for treatment for chemical, I mean, for alcoholism. And one time to Hope Lodge in Rapid City, South Dakota for codependency. Oh, okay. 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 That's what we need around here. Codependency treatment facility. I see that a lot in my Tuesday night meetings. I have a lot of people that would like more information on codependency and how they relate to being codependent. So, like, with the codependency, it was... Was it an LAC or like a behavioral health counselor that ran it? The group was there a group? It was a group. Yeah. Okay. Was it an LAC? Do you remember? LAC. Really? Interesting. Interesting. That would. I, I, yeah, I think I know somebody that went to that. It was really a great program. Very culturally um, accepting. Yeah, I mean, it was just all cultural, and we yeah. we were able to sweat. Every, on mm-hmm. certain nights. Yeah. So it was native centric? Yes, it was. And they even had a part um, where we did some anger management work. Mm. That was super exciting, man. Yeah. That's interesting. Very interesting Just to see how you click. Yeah. How, you, how them wheels spin in your head. And that's different from everybody else. But um, yeah, that, when I was at Crystal Creek, the one thing that really stuck with me was like the talking circles that we did every day there like from eight in the morning till nine every morning we had a talking circle sometimes they brought in like a traditional person like a medicine man one of their medicine men from the community he ran it 
<clears throat> or we just did it ourselves. But every day we had one, um, even on the weekend. So that was really good. That's what kind of fueled my fueled the white eco talking circle that happens here in town. It's like mm, I looked nice. for one, and there wasn't one. So anyway, <clears throat> yeah, that cultural piece is huge. But yeah, that's getting my wheels spinning in my head right now about the codependency treatment. But I like the fact that you know it's it was um, geared towards. I mean, you know, it brought our culture into it because mm-hmm. I think I think there's centric. a yeah native centric. But I think that you know there, a lot of natives are codependent. Very <coughs> codependent. Yeah, Very. I mean, and I and I think that has to do a lot with um, false beliefs, but also intertwine that with our our um, culture, our our culture, and our fam- the way we, our family system works. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then, so I think it's almost. I don't want to say abused, but it's kind of. I think it's tainted. It's not well, not, not not not. I mean, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it, but certain people, when they get into their, you know, their diseases, oh manipulation. Manip- yeah, it's it's uh, twisted. They twist it. They use. I think the, there's healthy it. and unhealthy. Yeah, and they. Oh yeah, for sure. They definitely One use it to, use it to their advantage. Yes, it's very unhealthy today. What? What's the definition of codependency? Codependency is when you you focus so much on a person, place, or thing that it you know you forget about totally about yourself. Mm. You put other things before yourself. Mm. Always trying to fix somebody else. You got to fix somebody else. <clears throat> Never taking care of your own yard. Mm. What's that saying that you say all the time? Keep your side of the street clean. Yes. Never, t- never taking care of your side. So of codependency the is like not necessarily having. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Yeah, it's yeah, it's very, um, and you know, addiction. People in our addiction were codependent as well. So we're worried about so and so. So sometimes we use or you know to kind of connect with them. Is yeah. that kind of? And then also, isn't <coughs> it have something to do with like um, letting other people abuse that kind of like you almost? I don't want to say using you, but um, like family members. Fam- they, I mean, they use that against you uh, to a point, but but you don't see it, you don't realize it, and you just go along with it to your own detriment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Some heavy stuff, man. Getting Cold deep. It is getting deep. <clears throat> Welcome to episode forty-two of the Unspoken Words podcast. This podcast will be dealing with codependency by yep. our lovely and gracious hosts. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get real solemn. <laughs> you guys are all time, quiet too. That was good stuff. I'm glad I tuned in. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then you laugh, and he's like, oh, it's just these guys. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's just those knuckleheads. What do you say? I'd like for me to run the meeting tonight. Oh, okay. Say, can't do it. I'm in the middle of an important interview. <laughs> <laughs> I just said I was upstairs. We are live on air. We are live on air. And with that, yeah, I think that was a good opening, good warm-up. So we'll go right ahead and get into our main topic. And Janice is going to be in the hot seat. So you all queued up there, DJ? Give Got me the high sign. All right. Well, DJ, why don't you hit me with that beat? Hey, yo, let's get into our topic. 
Ayo, let's get into our topic. <laughs> I didn't know what you were trying to sing that. I don't know what you were trying to sing. <laughs> I know, I cracked there. I was just mm-hmm. wondering if you're singing a super sacred song or what. Yeah, <laughs> can I get into my, into my sacred songs here. <laughs> then Randy made eye contact with me. <laughs> I started laughing. <laughs> so. I was like, what the heck is this guy doing? Word of advice to all you young singers out there. Don't make eye contact with your audience. (laughs) (laughs) Or you crack. Or you crack. Can't hit them notes. But anyway, we are now going into our questions with Janice, and she's going to drop some knowledge on us. So looking forward to this. Um, And I'll throw the ball over to JCB and the place to be favorite Indian. Well, I just want to say welcome. Thank you for being here with us. We appreciate it. Um, and uh, can you just tell us a little bit about your earlier history? Maybe how you got to got to using things like that. Just I guess start from the beginning. Okay. Well, thank you for asking me to be a part of this. Um, I hope I can. <laughs> I'm not used to having this on and whatnot. But anyway, my name is Janice, and I am a recovering alcoholic. And I have been in recovery for five years this time around. And the reason why I say that is because I first found out I had a problem with alcohol in 1989. And I went to treatment at Rocky Mountain Treatment Center in Great Falls. Mm. And um, it took me quite a while to think that I had a problem because I had drank myself into a professional, a profession. I became a professional drunk. Mm. I Mm. was uh, a certified teacher, teaching school. Um, I had a second job at the college. I was tutoring students. Mm. And so everybody seen me, I had a facade, everybody seen me as sober, mm. you know, in, but I actually started drinking back probably when I was about 14 years old. Mm. And uh, I think I was probably an alcoholic then, but I didn't realize it until later, later in life. Um, I, we used to, a few of my friends would get together and because I always look older than the group, um, I was able to get served. Mm-hmm. So down, we'd go get, and this is really crazy, you know, back in the day, I'm no spring chicken, <laughs> but it's, uh, we would go buy wine. Mm. And some people remember Gallo wine, you know, and Gallo, you know, that was real crappy stuff, but we fixed it up. We put Kool-Aid in it. Mm. And to us, that was our new Boone's Farm. (laughs) I was going to ask, is it like Boone's? (laughs) (laughs) It was like Boone's Farm. 
but we'd all chip in together as kids. One student, one of the student, one of my friends would get a car, and we'd drive around, and we'd go over to the bootlegger in LG, and we'd get some wine, and we'd doctor it up, and we'd just ride around and drink, you know. Mm. And I didn't think there was anything wrong with it because I thought it was fun. Everybody was doing it. But then I realized that I was becoming to like it. I mm. like that feeling of being able to feel they want to hang out with me. Um, because yeah. I always felt in less than or not belonging uh-huh. to the group mm-hmm. of kids. Mm-hmm. And part of the reason was because I... I was raised by my grandmother, who was a direct result, a survivor of the boarding school. Mm. She lived there from the five years old until she was an adult, and she got married. So. Oh, wow. So she um, uh, was very heartless, <laughs> to say the least. Mm. But anyway, I grew up with a lot of physical, emotional, and mental abuse. I um, I was um, made to feel I was to repay or pay for my mother's mistakes. My mother was only uh, 14 going on 15 when I was born. So my grandparents were very, very, you know, upset about that. And they forced my parents to get married, which... I felt was harsh. And um, so I was left with feelings of being inadequate. I wasn't loved. I, you know, I needed, I needed that affirmation. So when I started drinking with my friends, man, I felt like I could shine. I thought they really liked me. I think they wanted to hang out with me the, because I was able to get the, the, the liquor. Mm-hmm. And then once we graduated and going on down to Parkman Bar, we'd pick up Everclear. We'd pick up whatever we could get our hands on, you know, whatever we could come up with, the money. We'd all chip in, and whatever we could afford, that's what we'd get. And <clears throat> that went on until I was about 17. I didn't, I mean, it wasn't a daily process, I mean, daily thing. It was kind of like on the weekends or at a basketball game or something like that. Yeah. But then I started noticing when I, at home, my grandfather was not an alcoholic. I'd never seen him drink at all. He kept a gallon or a fifth of vodka way up on the top shelf. And I knew he kept it there because he he was the town barber in Lodgegrass and he sometimes was just tired, you know. He'd come home mm-hmm. from work, and then he'd have to work out on the feeding the pigs or the horses or whatever, you know. He'd be outside working. He'd come in, and he'd have a drink. He'd fix himself a drink. Mm-hmm. And he'd sit there and drink it, and then he'd have his dinner, and he was done. I'd never seen him drunk or, you know, out of the ordinary with his drinking. So, but I knew where it was now. <laughs> yep. And I knew what the alcohol would do for me. Mm-hmm. So I would every once in a while get some, I pour some in a glass and then I'd put water back in there. I had figured out to manipulate how to get that drink, even though 
I mean, you know, I was in my house, but they never did. I I I knew my grandfather was going to eventually <coughs> catch on to me, so I quit doing that. But mm. then I started looking for different things in the cupboard cupboard that had alcohol in it, vanilla extract, uh, different different things. Vanilla extract was the main one for me because my grandma did a lot of cooking, so she mm. kept a lot of bottles of vanilla extract, and I I would use that. Mm. Not really. I mean, I didn't understand it. Why? I, I don't know if it why, know why, really, in honesty. Because I didn't really get a high from the vanilla extract. You know, mm. kind of felt like a, a little goofy. But, um, so anyway, beyond that. Um, so I wound up, I got married young. And I married another uh, alcoholic who liked to drink. He was one of my partners that we'd all get together with. And um, we started a life of drinking together. Um, We had two children. And I, because I was looking for love in all the wrong places and still wanting to fulfill or to fill that void of not feeling loved from not having a mother to nurture me. I was always looking for love in other people ever, you know. And um, I feel that I um, started that in high school because I, I tried to have, I mean, you know, when I'd have boyfriends, I would just, I had to stay with that one boyfriend, but, you know, it didn't matter. Um, he, we'd break up, and I'd still sit, wait patiently for him to come back. And that's mm. what I did in my relationships throughout my life. Um, because my tolerance for pain was extremely high, I was able to... Um, put up with a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. And I felt sometimes, it almost felt like I, f- I felt like I deserved it. When in reality, I didn't res- deserve it. I deserved better than what I was dished. But because of that codependency of wanting every, wanting, I went out of my way to please people, you know. And just like I said, in high school, I, because of my, I was bigger structured so I could go into a, I went on a speech debate uh, state, state speech team and we went to Missoula and um, we were all in our motel and I don't know one of them had some friends there but anyway they took me to a liquor store and I still don't know how how in the world I did it. But anyway, I went in there and I got all this liquor that they wanted me to get. And then they asked me how old I was. I gave them a a date, a year. And uh, a guy kind of looked at me and he says, man, where's your ID? And I said, oh, it's over in the dorm. You know. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, he he said, oh, you must be pretty darn close to... My age, and I said, "Yeah," and I gave him the. I don't even remember at this point. I told the right age, 
you know. How I maneuvered that in my mind, I don't know, but I gave him the right year and the right age. Mm. And I wound up getting the liquor, and we proceeded to drink it, whatever. So, But I did that to thinking that I was creating friendships mm. with people. I would like, you know, I would... Just like I said, I'd go out of my way trying to please people, give them what they want, loan money, give them things. And uh, eventually, you know, I started feeling like, man, I do all this stuff for everybody, but nobody does anything for me. Mm. So it was uh, a mental torture for me for quite some time. Um after I did go to treatment in Great Falls, I um, I did really, really well. And I realized that I wasn't... Um, that's where I found out that I had made myself a professional drunk because I was able to maintain... I didn't... And I told myself I didn't have a problem because I didn't have DFS breathing down my back. <coughs> I held two jobs. I maintained a home. My kids had clothes, they had food, they had everything they needed. But they didn't have me completely because mm-hmm. I wasn't there emotionally sometimes. I was too busy having to take care of my relationship. Yeah. Needing to satisfy the man that I was with, you know, wanting him to be pleased. And um, so I worked overtime all my life to, to get these things. And I maintained sobriety for 11 years, and I did very well. I did counseling, attending meetings. And I started sobriety through the AA program. Mm -hmm. And um, I maintained that. And then here and lo and behold, in 96, I came, I had a year... I say a year of hell, but I've just finished having more losses this year. So I, I'm, I don't know. Back in '96, I lost my my favorite aunt, my dad. Two weeks later, then I lost my mother. Two months later, then I lost a brother in, on Labor Day, mm. and I, I didn't feel like I was able to grieve. I felt like I was um, just adding it on. I was stuffing, stuffing, stuffing all, all my feelings and um, not dealing with it. Mm. And then lo and behold, the end of that year, I waited. I waited till the end of that year, New Year's Eve. And then I decided I got some beer and I drove around all day long with it in my trunk, not touching it. Debating mm. all day long, am mm-hmm. I going to do this or should I not, you know? And then I went to a bingo at Busby. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll be darned, I won the blackout. Ooh. And I won $1,000. Heck, that was a lot of money back then. Mm. Anyway. Um, That's a lot of money now. <laughs> For some of us it is. <laughs> but... Um, so I chose Excuse me. what better way to celebrate? Yep. You just won a thousand bucks, you feel like crap, you got beer in the trunk, 
you're you know you're grieving over all these losses and you don't know how to deal with the pain inside so i decided to go back out and i drank for another 20 years mm. if not longer i but i would try sobriety off and on all those years and um I'd maintain it for maybe two months, three months. I think the longest I'd went was six months, and then I'd go back. But again, the behaviors of the alcoholic were always there. Even though I had sobered up those 11 years, and I knew what was best for me and how to go about it, I gave up on myself. Mm. I felt like I didn't have... I tried, and it didn't work, so why even bother, you know? Mm-hmm. I, I still don't get, I still haven't found that love that I want. Um, I've lost the most significant people in my life that I wanted that love from. And um, I was physically abused as a child, too, from my mm. grandmother. So... That led me into abusive relationships. Uh-huh. I figured mm-hmm. I deserved that treatment. I was okay. I, I, I survived it, you know. Normal. Yeah. It was normal for me to get the crap beat out of me. Yeah. And I went through relationships like that. And again, I stayed in those relationships because I thought, if I just love them a little bit more, they're going to love me. Yes. Mm-hmm. Then I don't have, you know, then everything's going to be perfect. Everything's going to be fine if I can just get them to love me. Mm. But it didn't work that way. Is that kind of codependency? Yeah, that's the codependency is because I don't, you know, I want everybody to feel, feel good. That's what makes me feel good. Yes, when somebody else is feeling good. You're right. If I can make you guys feel good and, you know, make sure you're all sitting tight and got everything you need, then I feel good. Mm. And I feel like I'm feeling important. Like I, you know. Like you accomplished something. Right. Wow. Yeah. So I get that. The is feeling accepted. Does that drive the codependency then? That's what I was yes. kind of hearing a lot of, like, you wanted, just wanted that acceptance. Yes, I wanted that acceptance. I wanted to be mm. somebody to pay attention to me. Yeah. Almost kind of like rejection. Yeah. When you were younger. Mm-hmm. And because you were treated that way, kind of instilled a thought pattern. Mm-hmm. Mm. If I can do this, then I would be accepted. If I could just do this, then I'll be accepted. Mm-hmm. But it was never... I guess you're always chasing something. I, that's exactly yeah. true. And see, that's how my my addiction <clears throat> to alcohol progressed so fast yeah. after I went back out that second time. I mean, that after the first time I went to treatment and drank for another 20, 20 plus years, it progressed pretty fast at that point then. Mm. I had gotten to, when I finally sobered up this last time, I had gotten to where I was drinking a six-pack a night, mm-hmm. still functioning, yep. you know, still going to work. Yeah. Staying, I, I timed it out beautifully. And through these 20-some years, I re- racked up three DUIs. 
Mm. And um, that's what I was going to ask was like, did any of your drinking like lead to charges? Yes, I had three DUIs, served time in jail, and it's so crazy. I, um, I, the last DUI I had was in Hardin, Montana, where they let me out on work release during the day. Oh, and mm. the teacher that I commuted with from Billings would stop at the jail in Hardin and pick me up and I and I I had my clothes in there for the week. Yeah. For each day. And they'd take I'd be able to change and get ready for work and go to work and then she'd drop me off there in the evening after school. And so you, I you were, still you, thought it was okay. You were you were teaching at the time? I was teaching at the time. And you were coming wow, that's crazy. Yeah, and see, nobody knew that. Nobody knew. And Harden, too, where they're, like, notorious for being a little bit harsher. Yeah. Like, you can get, like, if you get stopped in Harden for driving without a suspended license, like, you'll go to jail. Here, it's like, yeah. nah, we don't have room for you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Here's a notice the to stay yeah. <laughs> yeah. Come, you know, we'll, we'll schedule out a time a few months in advance, and then. Yeah. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, and I couldn't believe it. I, it was you know that's where I was with my drinking, and I come across a, a friend that attended the when they first started these talking circles here, <coughs> and I became part of oh, a part of that. And at that point, I um, I found something here. Mm-hmm. At the talking circles that fit my style, and I don't, you know, it was acceptance too. Come on, I was being accepted by the others in the group that were in the same situation that I was, and um, I was able to put myself back together here. And that's what I wanted to ask you: was like, okay, you got the DUIs, you. You went to treatment in 89, then you got, like, the DUIs. What, like, led you to the talking circle? Like, what like, what inside? Like, was there something inside that, that you thought, like, oh, maybe I should try this again? Or was it, like, you know, you made, like, a decision? Or, like, what led up to, to that choice? Like, like what, up, what led up to that? Well, I started to see the progression in my disease. Uh, of alcoholism, and I wanted something different. I was feeling, uh, I started feeling, you know, hey, I do deserve something better. Mm. I told myself I did. And I can only do that is if I make a choice to change. And I, you know, I really am thankful for my higher power, who I call God. Because he truly did save me. Mm-hmm. And I, for the two years prior, so seven years ago, I already started praying, God, help me. Yes. Help me. God, can you please save me from this obsession, this compulsion, and take it away from me, you know? And mm-hmm. I just kept praying. And I would know. I'd go pick up my six-pack, but I'd say, God, why do I do this? And do it again, you know, and it doesn't really, you know, I just go home and sit my, once in a while I'd go to the the casinos 
Um, but anyway, I started praying a lot. Yeah. I started working on my spirituality, and I decided that I deserve better, and I was going to be better, and mm-hmm. I was going to get better. And I actually did. I literally got down on my hands and knees, and I prayed, and I said, you know, I, I need the change. Well, um, New Year's Eve kind of became, that was the night that I had taken that drink years ago to go yeah. back out. Mm. So when I wanted to sober up, I told myself, today's the day, God. I mm. want it to be today. Mm-hmm. And some years ago, I had kind of, I looked at my grandkids. We'd, I'd fix him all kinds of uh, festivity, festive things for New yeah. Year's Eve, like a New Year's Eve party. And then I thought, you know, and then I go out to the bars and drink. And their mother does too. So we have these little kids and these kids at home, you know, yeah, they're going to eat. They're going to watch the ball drop. You know, maybe they won't. They'll just play. They'll go to sleep. I decided that I was changing that habit. And I started having New Year's Eve parties for my grandchildren. And, but I still had my six pack. Yeah. Mm. And eventually the last New Year's Eve that uh, I had uh, when I sobered up, I, um, we had, uh, I had fixed tons of food for them. We played games. We watched the, ju- uh, the ball jump. And, I mean, fall, the ball jump. And, uh, anyway, after that, I, uh, went to bed. And the next day, that's when I said, today's the day, Lord. You know, I'm done. Mm. And I told myself I was that night before. So that's why I claimed New Year's Eve again. Yeah. As my my New Year's Day as my day of recovery and sobriety now. Awesome. Because that's when I had left it before I brought it back. Yeah. And um I guess that's where I let it go mm-hmm. and then I brought I got it back. Yeah. yeah. So that's kinda of where uh, how I you know I came across the friend that was attending the uh, talking circles here and she was telling me how spiritual it was and I said man that's pretty cool I want to try it I got to do something so I hadn't went to an AA meeting once in a while but not real you know um, continuous or anything mm-hmm. and once I started when I came through those doors to come to the talking circle I've been coming through those doors ever since and sometimes I would go three or four times a week Mm-hmm. You know, Come I, on. Just, I just wanted to hear. I just wanted to learn. I just wanted to feel better. And it's now going on five years now, and I have, I have found so much comfort in coming to the uh, talking circles. It's just amazing. The more I share, the more I get back. Yes, yes I hear yes. so many stories. We're all intertwined in one way or another, mm-hmm. all of us. And when I say I have yet to meet, not meet a codependent alcoholic. Mm. We're all codependent in some way or another. Yep. And um, that's why I try to touch on codependency on my meetings on Tuesday nights. I, I, 
I have the uh, language of letting go book that I also read and, mm-hmm. you know, provide some kind of topic for us. So it kind of seems like the talking circle kind of brought out like the, who you really were all along. Like yeah. you were, you were always accepted and you, you know, you had this responsibility. But one thing that I see, like from my perspective, like you just have this real loving motherly care about you. And I know, like, I just, like, met you within the past year, but when I went to your party, I'm like, man, like, I could tell that was, like, something that you enjoyed, mm-hmm. you know? So, thank you. Yes, I really, mm-hmm. you know, it's kind of funny how I feel about our group, <coughs> you know? I, I think I'm the oldest one in our... Our elder. Our circle. <laughs> 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 I have achieved the elder status. <laughs> And I feel like the mama. That's what I'm saying. Like, that's really, like, the feel that I got, like, yeah. when I started coming last year, like, hanging around the whole crew. Like, yeah. Yeah. I'm like, man, like, that's what I, like, I'm you just have this real. Take care of all the kids. The heart, <laughs> the heart of a mother. Mm-hmm. And that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. That was the whole thing that I wanted as a child. I knew how. I told myself that I could be that, that I wanted. But I just needed to nourish it. And it flourished then. Now I've come to a point where, you know, I have to bring snacks for everybody. I want to make sure everything is nice, you know. I I got it, you know, and again, that's part of my control, too. (laughs) I got it all under control, guys. We can do this. (laughs) But I think they need that a little bit. Oh, yeah. So... Definitely. They do. I don't. (laughs) (laughs) So I was, you know, when you, that was crazy because, like, I was thinking that, you know, launched these noon talking circles. We started out with a Friday one. And then, like, I was like, all right, I'm going to up this. I'm going to up the ante here. I'm going to start Monday through Friday. And luckily, you know, my, my boss supervisors at the time were like, yeah, go ahead. Go do it. Do that do that thing and then you came walking through the doors that time Mm -hmm. and then like there was only a few of us every day yeah and then that started you know but ever since you've come along um i just wanted to say thank you for you know just stepping in and like helping right away because you helped a lot with the speaker meetings Mm -hmm. is where you know Right, you know, really started noticing your help because, like, you come in and, like, you just start taking care of the food. And then, you know, after, then after hearing your story, it's like, oh, that's something that she loves to do, you know, that taking mm-hmm. care of that food part. Where, you know, before speaker meetings, it was, like, all me, you know. Mm-hmm. I had to be the door greeter. I had to be the chair of the meeting. Then I had to make sure the food was all organized and everything. So thank you for coming in and helping with that, and I really appreciate that. Um, so today... Um, you kind of touched on it a little bit here and there, but I just wanted you to talk about how you continue with, you know, that resolve and that how you, you know, keep walking the red road. Um, just kind of go more into depth in that, like maybe just like your daily walk, how that looks. Well, since I, um, my grandson that I took, that I'm raising and mm-hmm. I have guardianship of is five years old. Mm-hmm. And he was my angel sent to me from God. Mm-hmm. I know he was. I 
didn't know what I was really getting myself into when DFS <laughs> called me that morning and says, uh, your daughter left her baby at the hospital. Do you, do you, would you like to take the baby? And I said, oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I, I, I'll do it. I'll, I'll take him. Because I've already had a ex- bad experience with two of her other children oh. that we lost to DFS. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen those children in probably nine, ten years now. Oh, wow. And um, I was working on getting them back as foster children, kinship too. Mm-hmm. But uh, the father, who is non-Indian, miraculously got out of prison. And five mm. days later, they decided to work with him and not me. Oh, and wow. they gave the children to him. And I told him, I said, you know what? I respect that he's sober now, mm-hmm. and I said, it's it's cool, but he's been sober locked up. Mm. He was forced to stay sober. He hasn't been sober out on these streets yet mm. to prove his sobriety, mm-hmm. and you want to give him these two children, and you know, it's it's crazy, but he's he's back in prison again, mm. and he, because he was given full custody of the kids, he... Mm-hmm. When he went back to prison, he signed his custody over to his wife. Mm. And so we haven't been able to get the kids back. Oh, but anyway. Sorry about that. Um, oh, my goodness. I totally spaced out your question. <laughs> I lost myself. So just like how, how it looks today, you know, walking the red road. Oh, you're talking about I was talking about uh, taking Leo. Yeah. Uh, anyway, um, I feel like. I took him because I was going to redo my past. Mm -hmm. I was going to give him a mother. I was going to give him structure. Mm -hmm. And I was going to give him a commitment that I was going to raise him in a home where he felt safe, protected, and, you know, loved more than anything else. Mm -hmm. And so... When I, when I did that, I felt like I, I, um, I not only made a commitment to him, but I made a commitment to myself, knowingly that I have to make sure that I take care of me, so I can take care of him. Mm-hmm. If I'm not taking care of me, I, you know, I go to counseling once every two weeks. Um, I've had a bad twist, you know, I lost my son and my grandson, but I'm back. I feel like I had went somewhere. I was in a real darkness there for a while, and I'm, I, I'm living a happy life now. Um, but if it wasn't for my meetings, coming to the talking circle and taking care of me, talking to people... Uh, being active, proactive in our talking circles. Mm. I really see that that is uh, a product that all meetings, organizations, whatever, needs. You have to be proactive in whatever you're doing. If you want that to blossom, if you want it to expand, you have to take care of it you know, just like baby it baby it um Nurture just like it. i did my plants yeah yeah i 
I planted two so, rose bushes, one for Brian and one for TC. Okay. Mm-hmm. And they turned out beautiful. Awesome. And I have never, <laughs> haven't had plants for many years because I was, you know, just didn't have the green thumb and I was always killing them. <laughs> <laughs> I could even kill a cactus, man. <laughs> So me being able to plant rose bushes and then blossom beautifully told me that I am on the right path. I'm doing what I need to do for me now. I'm no longer enabling or you know myself where I'm not. I'm too busy taking care of other things. Yes, I'm taking care of a five-year-old, but I'm not letting it control me. Mm-hmm. I have a life. I have a life today, and it's because of me nurturing myself in the talking circles. Awesome. Mm. Path of healing. Wow. It's wonderful. I, I, I'm just very happy. That's cool, man. I think, like, the coolest part of your story, too, like, it's all good, but one thing that I see is, like, your dedication to your mental health. Mm-hmm. Like, and being proactive in that, knowing that you have to take care of your priorities first for you to be good for anything else. Mm-hmm. And um, like I always, <laughs> I always say, like I always go back to the Bible, right? Yeah. So there's this passage in there where Jesus is talking to Peter, who you know basically backstabbed him, and then he comes back. So like, but Peter preached like the biggest revival, right? Um, Three thousand souls were added unto the kingdom when he preached. But he goes from this place of like not knowing who he was and then Jesus having a conversation with him and saying, strengthen yourself and then go strengthen your brothers. Mm. And I think like for us, like the way that I apply that to me is like in order for me to be in a place where we're pouring out and we want to see healthy people and healthy families. And, you know, like my thing, like my whole, like my, the reason why I'm here is to be a dad. Like, everything else is secondary. Mm. It's, it's like, you know, my job description or my pastoralship, like, ministry. Like, all that takes a back seat to my relationship with my daughter. Mm. But in order for me to be a good father to my daughter, I have to learn how to be a son to the guy that created me. Mm-hmm. So it's like, if I don't strengthen myself, then I can never impart strength to others. And that's kind of like what I see with you. Like, you're like, like, you said it in another way, but you're like, I go to therapy every two weeks. And that's like something that we don't see, especially in the Native community. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, we never, uh, what's the word? We, we never stress the importance of being in a healthy place in our mind and walking that out. Yeah. And I mm-hmm. think that, like, it it manifests in your plants. Mm-hmm. Like, it comes out, you know what I mean? Because of the work that you're putting in. So it is exuding, it's manifesting out in the physical mm-hmm. to where you have your plants. And it's like, they're blossoming. Because I feel like that's a picture of you blossoming. You know? Mm-hmm. I know. Well, one thing, you know, I can't remember... Who, which counselor, (laughs) I have many counselors in my (laughs) lifetime, uh, (laughs) told me that I had to have a relationship with God, Mm -hmm. a solid spiritual relationship with God, 
and myself before I would be of any use to anyone else. Mm. Yes. And so, you know, that's when I have my meetings. You know, the other thing I, was, I needed to share was that I worked at the Women's Pre-Release Center for like two years, two and a half years. Mm-hmm. And I really enjoyed it. Because when I went in there, I was a guard, but I wasn't a guard. Yeah. Mm. I went in there and, you know, I would almost like preach to them mm-hmm. in a sense because I told them, you know, man, you know, you can do do, be- do better than this. Yep. You know, it's only by the grace of God I'm not in here with you. And some nights I would go sit in their room with them and talk to them, ask them about themselves, you know, what makes them happy, what do they want to do in their life, you know, and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I was given so many affirmations from the girls there. I <laughs> Most of them were back in prison, a good portion of them. Yeah, you know, uh-huh. they had to go back out and try it again. Yeah. And they're back in there. But I have people telling me that, you know, this girl said that she were the best CA over there. You, mm-hmm. you know, you, you treated them with respect and I did. I, you know, when I first got hired there, I told them who I was and what I was and that I was there to for my job, but I was also there to help them along their way. I wanted them to know that they could do better. Yes. Right on. And so, you know, I just I shared that with them. And, you know, I, that's the same thing with our talking circles. You oh, know? yeah, for sure. Sharing our experience, strength, and hope. And, like, you were out there, you know, in that pre-release, that woman's pre-release, and, like, just planting seeds. Planting seeds and then going back and watering them and watering them. And you don't know. You know, someone else might, the ones that went back out, went back to prison, you never know. Someone else didn't come along and plant that or water that seed that you plant. Hopefully it grows, you know, and that's that's how I had to look at it when I was out here trying to help these street folks. I was out here planting seeds every day, just trying to share some experience, strength, and hope with them. So that's very awesome that you that you did that while you were there. I didn't know that. That's commendable, as uh, Randy likes to say. <laughs> <laughs> I just threw his word there. <laughs> I, I want to thank Josiah for taking my thought away from me. Oh, good. <laughs> Expand on it. Expand on it. No, no. Yeah. I ex- actually, you know, when I was listening to you, and I w- what I was going to say is, um, even though some of those ladies, they went out, and like you said, they had to try it again. They tried it again, tried it again. The, the, I, I believe that your words stick with them. And he said, you know, planting seeds, that's exactly what it is. Because you don't know when that's going to pop up. You know, they're going to carry it with them. They're going to carry it with them. And, and you don't know how... The amazing thing is, is that you don't know how you how positively you affected their lives, even though they don't show it, even though they may not say it, but it's there. You planted that seed, and one day, you know, they'll just, oh man, I remember when Janice was talking to me and she told me this, and then boom, and then that just that light that light flips on, and so I think that's an amazing thing that you did that, um, especially. Going in there and saying, hey, this is who I am. This is, you know, where I come from. This is, you know, how I, you know, but but for the grace of God, I would be in here with you. Um, that, I think, is a really powerful thing because then it levels that 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 field. Rather than looking up, they can look across and mm-hmm. say, if this, if this lady 
this this amazing lady who's coming in here sharing her herself with me is making it then that that gives me hope and so i just i think that's just an amazing thing one thing i i one tactic that i've learned to use over the years even in, in the teaching profession is that if you hover over someone and stand above them and talk to them it's almost like you're belittling them mm-hmm um, so when I would sit and talk with the girls, I'd go in and I'd just sit down in their chairs in their room or I'd <laughs> sit at the table in the dining area across from them. Yeah. You know. Just like you were hanging out with them. I mean, that's what, what you were you doing. Know, in the mornings, I'd greet them. Good morning. How are you doing? You going to have a good day today? Let's have a good day. It's beautiful outside. You know, I would just throw it out there at them right on right on and they like that well good morning miss good luck it's good to see your face you know and then you know i kept a real positive uh movement with them you Mm -hmm. know wanting to keep them feel alive you know instead of going in there and feeling like i made a mistake and i'm doomed and that's what i didn't want them to feel Mm -hmm. i didn't want them to feel that less than yeah Mm-hmm. Unaccepted. And I whatnot. think I think that's like that's important because especially like for people like us, like we make mistakes. We're we're used to making mistakes, and then when we step into a place where people are set in authority, they tend to exert that authority. Yeah, they do. But when we see somebody like yourself, that's like you know, like I'm not here to tower over you, but I'm here to walk beside you. Like there's something so powerful in that. Yep. And I'm reminded of even like today, like I stepped into probation and parole because I had to get some uh, some type of letter stating that I discharged from probation, right? And the lady yeah. was being rude. Like she opened that door and, you know, I'm coming in this feeling I haven't been in probation for a while. And she's like, and I told her what I needed. And she's like, well, what do you think? We hand, we, we don't hand out certificates or diplomas over here. And what? I'm like, yeah, man. I'm like, I'm like, wow. You know? I just need like a discharge. Yeah. And then I'm like, hey, this is, you know, my name's Randy. Like, this is what I'm doing. I'm applying with the, you know, with the state of Montana for behavior health. Um, and then she left for like 10 minutes. And then she came back and she was like a totally different person. You know? So it's like, yeah. it's powerful when somebody that's in a place of authority, such as you were at the Elf House. Like, because these women and, and these men are used to being looked at as less than. And sometimes even us in our in, in our civilian life, like, we run into that. Mm-hmm. Uh. And there's something that's powerful about somebody such as yourself, and I keep saying that, that refuses to tower over somebody but saying, you know what, I'm going to walk beside you. Yes. Right on, right on. It is. That's, <clears throat> thank you. I, I've... <laughs> Unfortunately, I've been through pre-release several times. <laughs> um, <laughs> Successfully. <laughs> I succeeded three times. Uh, no, but but I and when you were saying that, I, I I was always there was always one person who who kind of fit that like how you said that didn't um, look down upon you. Or say you know, didn't exert their authority, but they treated you like a human being. I can think of one person every time that I've been uh, pre- through pre-release, but when go- going through prisons and jails and all those other places, 
it's you're dehumanized from mm-hmm. day one. Yeah. Mm. I mean, you're not even you're not even. I wasn't even JC. I was a number. Yeah. I was a number. They don't ask you your name. They say, "What's your number?" And so every time you write something, your number, your number, your number. And I was telling these guys about uh, a psychologist that I met in the federal prison, and she always told us, "You're not a number. She said, Get that out of your head." And she, oh, and then you know how like, um, and it's little things too, like, oh, I'm gonna go back to the house, meaning back to my cell. Don't use that language. You got to be mindful of the language that you use. That's not your house. That's just where you have to be for the time being. So, mm. so you know, so I'm gonna, oh, so I quit using that kind of language, but I'm. Getting more back to my point was the fact that those individuals are the ones that I gravitated to because I felt more comfortable and then I could be myself and I could say, hey, this is what I'm struggling with. Rather than having to go to the other guy, the other lady, the other counselor, the other whoever, the other guard and saying, I need help with this. And then, and then getting that kind of response. That ra- yeah, that, like how Randy got, you know, like mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's hot. It's, and then. With with all that, it makes it more difficult. I mean, it's already hard as, as as it is. You know, like oh man, I'm a felon. I made a mistake. I'm in here for this and that and the other. It's hard to reach out for help because you feel the stigma. You feel well, not the stigma, but you uh, personally. I felt tainted, mm. dirty. Like like I was I was pew yuck pew. You know what I mean? <laughs> And so carrying that around with you and then you go to somebody else who just kind of validates that by how they treat you. Yeah. yeah. But, but that's you, carrying around like shame and carrying around like all that baggage. And, and but the shame and the guilt is what keeps us in our yeah. addictions. That's like, yo, I don't want to reach out because this is how they already view me anyway. Yep. You know what I mean? Like when I'm like today in today's thing, like I respond, I'm like, man, like I... Like, I <laughs> turned around, and I told the guy behind me, because he was like, wow, did she just say that? And I'm like, man, she's a real piece of work, ain't she? <laughs> but I mean, the, but... You know what I mean? The, like, yeah. But just thinking about it and thinking about my own past experiences, what you were doing for those ladies is a powerful... Yep. Empowering it, them. It, well, yeah, that, and, oh, my God, I said that word, and they didn't <laughs> sing. It, it's so, you know... It's, power. It, it's, God, I should have said nothing. <laughs> There's power. Power, wonder-working power in the blood. In the blood. Of the Lamb. Of the Lamb. Hey, hey, hey. Just for future reference, don't ever say the word power, because that's what's going to happen. Hey, he said power. Power. (laughs) (laughs) Whenever he says power, we start singing. And the funny thing is, is I always say it, too. Almost every episode. I caught myself. (laughs) But, yeah, going back there, um, it's... It's just amazing how <laughs> how you could do that because I I honestly believe you don't even realize how much you affected their lives. And I'm here mm-hmm. to tell you that from my experience, when I ran into people like you that honestly said, hey, me and you, we're level. We're, I'm here to help you and I care about you and I want you to succeed. When you do that, it it puts something into that person that they you, you can't you can't get rid of it. You can't. It's always going to be there. There's be nights when I start thinking, like just, just horrible thought just comes into my mind. Like, oh man, I did this way back then. But then, it's often immediately followed by something that you know, like maybe one of these two said or something you said to me. 
you personally might have said, oh man, I remember that one time Janice said, you know, this, that, at a meeting or something, at the talking circle, or, you know, and then I, that's what, that's okay, I got to hold on to that one. And so it's just, it's an amazing thing. Um, I can't even really express it. It's, it's pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. Well, I've had, a, you know, a couple of girls that have been very, that I know of, that, I, that are here in Billings, uh, have been very successful. Awesome. I see them off and on in the public, you know, and they cool. steal. They just say, hey, Miss Good Luck, I still love you. Uh-huh. I love you, too. <laughs> I know, that's cool. That's cool. But, you know, and that's the basic thing is I was no better than them. And mm-hmm. I told them that. I'm not any better than you. And that's yeah. when I said, you know, by the grace of God, I'm not here. I think that's the biggest misconception, especially when we come to sobriety and recovery. Um, there's a meme. I don't know if you guys seen it on the Internet. So I'm going to get so old, especially with the reservation dogs. Oh, yeah. I'm going to get sober and act better than all you guys. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know? And yeah. It's like, no, we're not. Like, <laughs> because there's people that tell us that. Yeah. 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 We're told that constantly when we first sober up. Yeah. We're told, oh, yeah, she don't drink anymore. Acting she's acting better. Yep. She's acting yep. better than us. And then that's just their own insecurities. Yeah. That's just their own insecurities. They're projecting all that. The one, the, the mean that always comes up when, when we talk about that is uh, the one that was all dressed up, remember? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now that he's sober and then he was actually dressed nice, like that was a bad thing? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Like, just because I put myself back together, I mean, golly. <laughs> Makes me wonder, what did I look like before? Oh, man, we were rugged. <laughs> Rough and rugged and rugged. Oh, nappy hair. Oh, anyway. <clears throat> so, Janice... Uh, you're off the hot seat now. Um, and my last question is, is there any, what is your message out there to anybody that's walking Red Road or, you know, on a fence with recovery? What what would you tell them? What's your message to them? Work your program. <laughs> <laughs> Plain and simple, work your program. No. Um, well, like I said, you have to be proactive. Mm-hmm. You gotta get involved with your recovery. It's not gonna your recovery is not gonna change or get any better if you don't work at it. Mm-hmm. And going to meetings, um, spending time with people that are also sober, uh, doing things that you've wanted to do but haven't done. Yes. Do those things. You know, uh, and there's always somebody there that is willing to help you along the way. Yes. And keep, you know, and the other thing is that I I really want to stress is build a relationship with God. Yes. Because that's your start through the door. You know, he's the only judge we have. And, you know, I can't judge anybody. And uh, nobody can judge anybody else. God's the only one that can do that. That's right, Tupac. So if we have, if we have the opportunity to do something at a speaker meeting, or run a meeting, or anything like that, you know, it's, uh, just do something. Be active in it. Yes. Don't just sit on the bump on the, you know, the curve and think, "Oh, I'm sober." That's all I need. I'm sober. At least I'm sober. 
but you're not doing anything with your sobriety. Yep. If you're just sitting there. Faith without works is dead. Yep. You got to keep working. There's a passage in Ezekiel that says, all you pastors are fat, like, because you're not feeding anything. You're not feeding anybody. Um, and I think that kind of alludes to, like, you have all this stuff, like, you're, you're learning, you're eating, you're, you know what I mean? You're, you're, you're strengthening yourself in recovery, and man, that's awesome that you're doing awesome, but you're not doing anything with everything that you've been given. Yep. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, service. Yeah, service, service work, work yep, is basically. so crucial. Um, you know, I, I I remember some of the saying service work and you know things yeah. like that, but from the AA fellowship, yeah. <clears throat> I have nothing against AA. No, I don't. But uh, I still attend AA meetings mm-hmm. once in a while. Yep. When I want to hear the twelve steps, <laughs> mm. but I feel my comfort. And my, more than anything, my acceptance in our talking circles. Mm-hmm. I know. You know, there's just something about it, yep. you know, that keeps us together. does. And I want to thank you for, well, one, coming in today and sharing your experience, strength, and hope, dropping some knowledge on us. And the other, you know, thank you for coming along and walking with me because... Uh, not only your walk has inspired me to keep going in my own walk, but, you know, the others in the group, you know, we've all kind of dealt with some grief. We're all grieving right now during the season, but um, knowing that you're walking with me has really kept me going. So, aho gosh, Gila. Yeah, and I, did, I also want to say thank you for everything that you do, mm-hmm. um, especially the things that nobody knows about. Because I know those are there; th- those things are out there, and just basically for being you. Because with, you. without you, I think we'd be pretty empty. Yes, thank you. Uh, <laughs> 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 ah, hey, Dennis, ah, hey. No, I was just gonna say thank you for sharing your story, and. To piggyback off of him, just thank you for being you because what you give off is just this, like, it's just, you can't explain it. The only way that I can explain it is like this motherly love. And you make me feel welcome, you know, and, and thank you for that. Um, your, your story exudes a lot of strength. Your story exudes a lot of hope. And it, it shows you that you can come out of anything. And, and I appreciate that. Right on, right on. And thank you. We'll have you back again on another episode and next time we'll just have a topic and we'll just get your perspective on it and we'll have a good conversation. No more hot seat. Yeah, no more hot seat. Okay. You can put us on a hot seat next time. <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> don't, don't worry, it happens to me all the time. Uh, this guy's always dismantling and mantling his mic. <laughs> All right, well, thanks for coming in, and we'll call you back again down the road here shortly, probably. Yes. All righty. Thank you. Yep. It was good to be here. School all right, day. all right, all right. She gone, and we'll go around the horn and get some reflections. Um, I'll start over here with your favorite Indian. Because I am your favorite Indian. Um, well, you know, 
I, I started from when, when she first started talking at the beginning, I could really relate to how she said, um, how she was looking for that validation outside of herself because she felt, oh man, I can't even remember the words she was using, but you know, like you wanted that validation from your friends, from your peers. Acceptance. Yeah, Peace. acceptance. That's the word, you know, to, um, because for me personally, I was always moving around. Um, I went to a different school every year up until like I was in eighth grade. So that's like eight different places. Sometimes I went back to a previous place, but you know, I was always the new kid and I was always felt kind of like out left, of place. left out, out of place. Like, yeah. And so I could really relate to how, and then finding drugs and alcohol is like, I could be. The I, common. Th- yeah. It's like, I always accepted it just the same, the same, the same thing she was saying. I, I was so it's kind of like no matter where you went, you always found the drug and alcohol crowd. Yeah, and there was always something similar about the previous people. Well, what, what was funny was is that I didn't start drinking until I actually quit moving around like that. Mm-hmm. So when I when I finally started staying with my grandparents in Prior, and I actually stayed there, stayed there. Yeah, then that's when I started, you know, drinking really heavily, but. All through growing up, I think that that has an effect on on us. Definitely. You know, well, it had that effect on me to where I was always the new kid and I was always trying to get, mm. be, you know, accepted and be part of the crowd and yeah, you know, be one of the, one of the homies and all this and that. But when I when I started drinking and then that's when I felt like I was, you know, this is it. This is this is the that was the tie that binds. Yep. <clears throat> so I could really relate to that part. And that, I mean, I think that goes for me as well. Is like, when I think about it, um, I was actually just thinking about this yesterday or today because of my job. I was thinking about how long I've been in addiction, right? Yeah. And I remember in fourth grade going out with the older homies. Like, I, like they would always call me to be on, like, we would play in the playground. They would always pick me, even though I was young. Yeah. And they would let me play basketball with them. And, and there was always this need to be accepted. Yep. So I never thought about the things that they asked me to do. I would just do it. Yep. Um, down to the point of drinking alcohol one day. Like, I, I still remember we asked one of the older homies, older brother, to go and get us some drinks. And they came back with a case of 40s. <laughs> You know? Yeah. Um, and I'm fourth grade, bro. Like, and, and I had one, like, and I just remember getting tore up and then going, like. Spinning? Not really. Like, I didn't get, like, overly drunk. Um, and that was my first brush with alcohol. Mm. And I felt like that was somewhere that I could fit in, like, because they were always wanting me to come along. Yeah. And thinking about that, like, like now, like, it just progressed. To the point of by the time I got to like eighth grade, it was already something that I was doing every weekend. Dang. You know, the partying and, and the weed smoking. Like, we used to steal weed, like, from my dad. Like, all this stuff. So it was like, but the thing about her, like, the thing that I identify with is, like, she got fed up and she wanted to break that mm-hmm. curse. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's where I find myself today. It's yeah. like. Because I realized, like, if I don't fight these battles, then my daughter's going to fight those battles. And I always say on this podcast, like, the biggest thing that I have now is a materialistic 
the thing that I treasure the most now is the peace of my home. Mm-hmm. Knowing that my daughter can have whatever she wants in the fridge and there'll be no repercussions. Um, you know, her latest thing is, is smoothies. She's like, Daddy, give me a cucumber drink from Well Paired. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, in my head, I'm like, man, I'm, I don't want to spend that money. <laughs> and like yeah. six bucks for a small one, eight bucks for a medium-sized one, and they're Dang. small. Yeah. Um, I go, hey, we have everything we need. And, you know, this morning, made her smoothie. Right on. Um, but it, it's things like that, like, you know what I mean? That yeah, make it, yeah, that yeah. make it like worth it for me. Mm-hmm. And that's the part that I identified with in her story is like, first of all, the, the need to be accepted. And then second of all, like breaking, um, breaking those curses in her family right on. and passing on healing rather than passing on brokenness and, and hurt and, and pain and rejection and all that. Right on. Yeah. And I think for me, when she was talking about how she needed acceptance and that how that acceptance like drove her to just drink, you know, I mean, be part of that crowd that drank because she could go out and buy stuff. And, you know, I, I mean, when I was young, I mean, I'm still crazy. I was like, I was the one who kind of corralled everybody and like, all right, this is what we're going to do. This, who, this is who's going to buy. All right. This is how much money we got. This Boom, boom, like networking. You know, that's a like I was good at that at a very young age. And then when I was decided, made up my mind, I was going to drink, you know, like, boom, who's got the money? Who's got the car? Who's got the spot? And get all those people together and let's party. And I was good at that, you know, and I did that. So but in doing that, like I was cool. Mm -hmm. I was accepted. So I kept doing that. I was like, oh, cool, man. Everybody's giving me high fives. Everybody's giving me the bro hugs. I was like, oh, man, that's awesome. That's a cool feeling. You know, I'm going to keep this going. Keep that going. Keep that going. And then until it progressed till you know, I was sitting alone in my apartment drinking a half a G. Not accepted by anybody. Everybody hated me, you know? Um, except for my kids, they probably didn't hate me. But everybody else, you know, hated hated the alcoholism, hated the addict. Um. <clears throat> So just seeing that in her story too, like, and then coming to the point where I just recognized that too, like when she said she was done, she was yeah. done. That was it. Oh man, I just remembered, like, man, that brought back that feeling for me too when I was like done, and I knew I needed to get taken out and just go to treatment and just like be in a safe space to like you know get my head together and good going, and that was my choice. But her, she was like, she was done. She's like, all right, I'm going to go to meetings. Oh, there's a talking circle? I'm going to go to that. Yeah. You know, and just like she got proactive, like she said. She just got proactive about her recovery. And and then we say it, too, on this podcast, you know, taking that energy, that effort that we had in our um, addiction to get our next fix, to get our next drink, to get our whatever, and putting that t- putting that same energy towards recovery, that and then that you know then you're gonna have success in recovery. I like it, you know. And she used a term that my dad used to always say too, like "Don't be a bump on the log, don't just sit there." You know, be be of use, uh-huh. be of use to yourself in your own recovery. Yep. I remember one time my mom told me, uh, "You got to participate in your own life." Yeah. And at the time, you know, it's one of those things where you just kind of, you hear it, you acknowledge it, 
Yeah. And then it doesn't really <laughs> soak in. And then later on, and you know, now I realize what she was saying. When you become your parents. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, well, when what I think when I grew. Um, but then you, I was going to go back to what you were just now talking about, like, because I was the same way. It was like one day I was like, I just made that decision because Randy asked her, you know, how did you, how did you know? Or I can't even remember how you put it, but she basically, she said, I decided. Yep. And that's how I, I mean, and I got that from you, which you just now shared. And then I remember my, my exact same, it was the same thing too. I was like, that's it. I just made that decision. That's enough. This is, I'm done. Isn't that crazy? Like, I think that's the similar thing between all of our stories because I got to that point where I'm like, man, you know what? I'm going to do what it takes for sobriety. Yep. I'm tired of this. Like, um, and drove myself to treatment. Word. You know? Yep. Like, sick and never, tired of being sick and yeah, tired. Yeah, it's like you have all these other, what are they? All these other, um, whatever factors or whatever. Yeah. Um, that kind of affect that decision, but at the same time, it's something that you really want, you know? Yeah, yep. and, and so. I think, well, I guess well, I, I would, there was a question in there I was going to say, ask, but I, you already, you guys already answered it, and I, do you think it was just the fact that we made that choice, that decision yeah. to say, this is it, and then now what do I have to do to get there? I think that that's the deciding factor in people that succeed in sobriety and recovery and people that don't. True. Is when they're ready, they make that decision. Um, when we were ready, we all made that decision. We made a choice that no matter how hard it got or no matter, like, unconsciously or subconsciously, like, we made that decision to be like, you know what, I'm going to go after sobriety with everything that I had. Uh, versus seeing somebody that's not successful in sobriety is they're really not at that point of hurting enough. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah it kind of reminded me of a meme where it said, uh, if you're serious about recovery, you're going to find a way. If you're not serious about recovery, you're going to find excuses. Yes. And we can see that, like, every day. Every day. You know, like... I, I see it every day. Yeah. I see, yeah. like, the people that I come across, I'm like, man, you can see somebody who's serious about what they want, and then they can see the person that's just like. And and you really can't, you can't half-ass it. Yeah. No. You can't. You just, there's no, you know, um, we always talk about those cliches. Yeah. Uh, we're, we're always looking for a easier, softer way. Yep. Mm-hmm. That's something we hear in, a lot in uh the AA, AA rooms, yep. but there is none. I mean, there's no mm-hmm. easy way. There's no softer way other than to, I think, to gain that experience by actually doing it and then, you know, learning from others, obviously. For sure, yeah. But I, you just can't half-ass it. You got to go full bore. Um, <laughs> and I, I was going to say, you can't... Yeah. <laughs> what? No, like, remember in a previous episode you said you can't half it's half acid. We got a full acid. I got a full acid. <laughs> <laughs> Both cheeks got to be in that. Both cheeks. Yep. Full moon, baby. Full moon. We ain't doing. We ain't doing no clips. Half moon. Nothing like that. We're going full moon over here. Keep going. Both cheeks in this. Both one. cheeks. <laughs> let's turn that into a cliche. <laughs> you gotta. You gotta use both cheeks, baby. Both cheeks up in here. No plumber cracking this. 
Full ass. Full moon, you baby. Gotta, you gotta, you gotta, full ass. You gotta go full ass. <laughs> That's crazy. All right. All right. All right. Cool, man. I appreciate you guys' reflections on the interview. And with that, I think we're ready for our speak on it. So, oh, hey, DJ, why don't you hit me with that beat, bro? Speak on it. Speak on it, bro. On it. Speak on it, bro. Speak on it. Speak on it. Speak on it. Speak on it. All right, all right, all right. It's Mo Hugs, not drugs, and I speak on it segment. And tonight, um, I came across this. Uh, I don't know if it's really a meme, but I came across this thing on the internet machine, and kind of ties into. <laughs> Where the interview and everything so far the podcast is gone, so I'm gonna read it and give it a little reflection on it. It's called it, the title of this. It says, "You did not waste those years. Understand that those years of pain and struggles that you endured was the time that it took for you to earn, learn, and then apply the lessons that allowed you to become your best self now. It was it wasn't time wasted. It was time invested." It gave the decision to change your life for the better, weight and power. <clears throat> it led you to the realization that you needed to change, and it gave you the courage and determination to take action. It was a valuable exchange in order for you to not waste the rest of your life. There's nothing wrong with wishing that you change sooner, but the fact is that you changed. Be proud of that. And I read that this morning. <clears throat> um, and I was just like, wow. Wow, wow, wow. Because there's, you know, there's times, you know, even tonight as we were talking the interview, I was thinking about that insanity of wanting that acceptance so much that I kept, you know, drinking and drinking even though, after a few cans, even like after a six-pack of cans early on, drinking, I'd puke my brains out and just be laying there and the room would be spinning and I'd be suffering for the rest of the night, trying to pass out, trying to make, trying to stop the room from spinning. And I think about that and I just put myself through that over and over and over and over again. Just because I wanted to be accepted, just because I I wanted to escape reality, that insanity of just that you know half hour half hour of fun, and then I'd just be puking my brains out for the rest of the night, and I kept doing that. That should that alone should have been enough to be like, okay, this isn't for me. But no, I kept going and I kept going and I kept going, and I was kind of thinking about that, you know. And but after reading what I read. Just now, I was like, okay, cool. You know, I was like, now, today, I've changed. I've made that change. And I've been able to walk the red road um, for five years and some change, closing in on six years here pretty soon. But I've been able to do that. And to see my kids benefit from my recovery is so huge to me. That is the biggest thing that fuels my fire that I get to 
I get to be their dad. I get to be their coach in the different sports. I get to cheer them on. Um, I get to be part of their lives. I get to give them instruction, give them direction. And, you know, there's one thing that I get to do with my kids and that's give them positive affirmations. And I have them, I write down affirmations for them individually and I have them read it out loud to themselves. And if I was in my addiction, I wouldn't be able to do that kind of stuff. I get to do those things today. I got to take my daughter to her, her meet and greet. Um, her meet and greet today with her teacher. If I was in my addiction, and I couldn't do that. I remember a time when um, she was at this daycare downtown here. And they had, um, what was it, Donuts for Dads. And I missed it. I missed it. And, but today, because I've changed, I, I get to be part of her life. I get to do things with her. Oh, man, I didn't even know that I was going to break down today. But whew, I get to do these things. I think today I just kind of had a bad attitude. Um... I shot a text off to these guys. I said, I have to go do this now. Then I, right away, I changed the, I sent a different text right after, and I said, I get to go do this. And I'm just thankful. Thankful for Baratia. That Baratia is always there. That I've been able to change. That's all I got for tonight. My speak on it. Uh, oh. Speak on it. Speak on it, bro. Speak on it. Speak on it. Speak on it. Speak on it. Yo, 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 yo. It's JC, your favorite Indian. Man, it's I'm constantly amazed about how things kind of they tie together. Uh, because I, what I was going to talk about was, you know, uh, surrounding yourself with like-minded people and having that strong support system. Uh, we're listening to Janice's story, and we talked about it afterwards that, you know, we were searching for acceptance. We were searching for validation. We were searching for something outside of ourselves and other people. And for me, uh, using drugs and alcohol was a part of it, and I said that was the tie that binds but I'm also living proof. I can also tell you that those, once you get rid of those those ties, that that drugs and those alcohol, that you know that stuff, the substances, those ties are no longer there. Because when I stopped, um, even before I stopped, there was people who 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 abandoned me. They left. They weren't part of my life, and I was by myself. At least I thought I was. There were still people that supported me, and I still had God. Even though I gave up on God, God did not give up on me. But, you know, in the last couple of days, I found myself just one thing after another. And it wasn't anything major, but these small things. And they started adding up, and I started getting frustrated, and I started getting, you know, I started questioning myself, like, why? Why am I doing this? What's the point? You know, I, I it seems like I'm, putting a lot of effort and just still treading water and then 
Every time I feel like that, it, for some odd reason, I think I just because I ingrained it into myself that I can't quit, that I can't give up, that there's something within me that won't let me stop. And part of that is, you know, the people that I have around me now. Um, I, I, I got to be honest, I would be lost without these two guys right here. I wouldn't, I, would, I wouldn't know what to do. And yet here they are. They advocate for me. They support me. They encourage me. Um, you know, they, they do a lot of things for me that to this day I find myself like, wow, that's, I mean, it, it can, I, I, I was confused for a second. I was sitting there at work and doing my job, and I was thinking about it, and I'm like, well, why? Why are they doing that? But then I realized it's because they see something. They see something like when I turn my turn away from myself, when the enemy attacks, I have a tendency to, you know, just go off. Like, it might be one bad thought, and pretty soon I'm right back in that hole that I found myself in when I first got thrown in prison. And that's how bad it will get sometimes. But then it's the, the, the support and, and the love and, and the encouragement that I get from the people that are around me is just so amazing. So I think, you know, it's important that we do that. And um, I, I just can't express how grateful I am to these guys. Uh, that was my whole point of my speak on it. I kind of went off of it, but I just wanted to tell you guys that I that I love you guys, that I appreciate you. Thank you for everything that you do. Um, you you don't have no idea, you know, because there, there are times when I feel like I'm down, but I can always go on that group text and, and chop it up with you guys, and we laugh and we joke and. <laughs> And, and and you guys always crack me up, man. It's 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 it's, it's empowering to me, and uh, because I do get those times where I'm like, why? And when I start questioning it, what am I doing? Why am I doing this? And then I realize because we have a there's a goal, there's a purpose for us. There's a purpose for us as a, as individuals. There's a purpose for us as a group. There's a purpose for you if you're listening to this right now. And I want you to know that. And I want you to realize that that sometimes life will come at you. But when you surround yourself with good, solid people, genuine people, people you know definitely have your back, whether you're good, whether you're bad, whether you're on top of it, or whether you're slipping, those are the ones you want to be around. Those are the ones you want to have in your corner. Because the only tie that binds us right now is that brotherly love and the goals that we have together. And I just wanted to share that with you guys because I was thinking about that today. Um, I appreciate you guys really from the bottom of my heart, man. I got nothing but love for you. And that's all I got. I hope. Speak on it. Speak on it, bro. On it, bro. Speak on it. Speak on it. Speak on it. throws me off man like i want to let you gentlemen know that i thank you and i appreciate you for sharing your heart tonight um it's touching i i think it's amazing josiah whenever a father shares their heart and there's something powerful there because 
us as Native men were breaking barriers and showing that you can be a paternal figure, but at the same time still have emotion that you deal with and what better than our platform. Um, not like it's a show or anything, but our listeners are able to see that there is nothing different about us. We just made the decision that we didn't want to live in that misery anymore, so we started making changes, and when we decided, made those decisions in our head, we applied the changes, we applied the thoughts that we had for our life, and that's the difference between somebody that succeeds in sobriety and somebody that fails. Um, But tonight, my speak on it, I wanted to speak on the whole... Uh, the young man that was shot in 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 Missoula by the police, and and we don't know yet if if it was. Uh, there's reports that came out recently saying that this young man committed suicide. He was no longer shot by the police, and I think that we need answers. But as you guys started sharing, like I just wanted to pray, and not that you know, like I, I don't, I'm not doing this for for anything else. But that's kind of like what I feel. So I wanted to pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for both of my brothers, Father. And Lord, we just exalt you. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And mighty God, we we praise you, Father. We count it as an honor to come before you, Father. And and Father, we ask that you use us as bridges in this community, Father. And Lord, we ask you to knit the hearts of the police and knit the hearts of the community, mighty God. Father, we pray that you would comfort those that are walking in grief. Father, we pray for for those that are walking in addiction. Father, I pray that you would show them how much they are valued and how much you love them, mighty God. And Lord, that if they partner with you, that their life could be totally different than where it's at today. Father, I ask you to give hope to the hopeless, Father. I ask you to restore those hearts that are broken, mighty God. Father, you said in your word that a broken heart and contrite spirit is acceptable in your sight. And Father, I pray that you would reveal that to them, mighty God. And Lord, for even those Fathers, mighty God, that feel like giving up. Father, I pray that they would find strength in their weakness, Lord, and that you would be exalted at the end of the day, that you would get the glory, Father, that you would a work a work in their day, though it be told them, Father, they would not believe it, mighty God. And Father, that they would testify, Father, even that person that's feeling about suicide, mighty God, that they shall not die but live and declare the works of the Lord, Father. You are faithful, Father. You have been Faithful, Father, you have been merciful, and you have been gracious, mighty God. And, Father, tonight I thank you for the breath of life, Father. Lord, I thank you for the second opportunity of life, Father. Father, you said in your word that the enemy comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy, but you came to give life and life abundant. And, Father, we thank you for your promises, Father. I pray for comfort, Father, to those that are mourning. And, Father, I pray for peace to those that are walking in chaos tonight. In Jesus' mighty name I pray. Amen. Wow, that's, I'm not going to say that word, but that was good. <laughs> that was good. How about this? Powerful. <laughs> oh, yeah, that was good, man. That was a really good episode, and man, I'm just kind of like speechless. I'm, I'm, in the, I'm in a good mood right now. I didn't even know that that release was coming, and I just, you know, it started coming. I had to let it go, let it go. It seems like it's just like the end of the day, and you're like, <sighs> Yeah, I just had to let that go, man. That's yes. awesome. That's good. That's, that that is good though, because it. For, I felt like it was like a like a wave. It just went around. Yeah, and I can just yeah. 
That's, that's definitely that's, a good well, release. One of the reasons why I do this because it's 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 therapeutic. Oh yeah, for yeah. sure, man. I, like I said, I always look forward to today. I was looking forward to get over here, getting over here today all day. Yes, sir. That was good, man. Good story. Good feedback. Good speak on it. It's the whole man, many hosts for the prayer. Love you too, JC. Love you, Randy. Man, it's, it's all good, man. It's a it's a beautiful thing. And we love you out there, listeners. Oh yeah, but of course, man. Group hug. Come on, hug. come in. Yeah. <laughs> that, 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 that's you. That, that includes uh, go you. Go ahead, too. come under my wings. Yeah. Come on. Feel by yourself. Just hug yourself. <laughs> air hug. It's all good. Air, air hug. hug. Air if, hug. If you're at the stoplight, go ahead and hug yourself. Yeah. <laughs> hug if, your steering if wheel. You're just, if you're working out, just stop and hug hug somebody. If you're, <laughs> if you're sitting at your desk, come here. At work. Come give me a hug. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Hugs all around. Yeah, mo hugs, not drugs. Not remember drugs. that drugs. All right. Well, thank you, thank you, gentlemen, for bringing it as always. And episode forty-two. That's a wrap. We love you out there, the listeners. We support you. Um, we got your back. So reach out, give us some feedback. Let us know how we're doing, or if you got a topic that you want us to touch on. But until episode 43, everybody out there on Flat Earth, we love you, appreciate you. Shouldn't stop saying that. <laughs> What's up, Holler at your boy? This is your favorite Indian, JCB. Hey, yo, it's Randy B, a.k.a. Pod Gotti. Yo, Josiah Mo Fire. A.K.A. Mo Hugs Not Drugs. Thanks for tuning in. Peace.